The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. So what is the number one killer of dreams, careers, homes, marriages, relationships, integrity? And so we can go down a list if you want. Maybe we can try to guess. You know, if I had to figure out what is the one thing that kills all of those in our life, what's the biggest home wrecker, what's the biggest job destroyer. Maybe for some of you, it might, you might say greed or lust or drugs. You know, maybe it's just lying or cheating or whatever. I, I want to give it to you. I wasn't going to ask you some hypothetical question and then leave you all hanging hopeless. So here it is. It's pride. And that's like the moment you hear, you're like, oh, it's true, right? Like pride is the mother of all vice. It, it, let me say it another way. It's, it's the roots to the fruit of everything that's messed up and wrong in the world around us. Here, here's the challenge with pride, though. Um, we don't see it in ourselves, we look around and we're good at seeing it in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. It's kind of a tricky one to talk about. And it's incredibly tricky in our culture because not only, uh, you know, like, so I'm telling you, pride is the mother of all things that are wrong, but we live in a culture that celebrates ego. Follow me here, right? We live in a culture that's all about you and me. Right, so we live in a, it's a selfie world, right? We live in a self-love, self-help, self-actualization world where it's all about me. And even in a church world, we encourage people to live their destiny. This is about you becoming the person you were meant to be, about you accomplishing what God created you to do. And we can even make faith and God and religion all about me, me, me. And we live in a culture that celebrates me. Follow me, right? So, I mean, we make a big deal about people being superstars and rock stars and winners and champions. And we love those kind of people. I mean, they make the most money. They get the biggest paychecks. They get the most fame. And so many of us struggle with wanting what is what they have. And it, so if you think about it, right, like in our context, humility is not a virtue. Pride is actually celebrated. And you believe that in order to get ahead, in order to live your dreams, you actually have to be more proud. You, you have to be more self-promoting. You have to be more confident. You have to be more, um, you have to put yourself out there more. You have to have a better resume. So you have to make a bigger deal about you if you're going to accomplish anything in this culture. You have to be better at branding yourself. Right? Like, so you got to get more likes, more shares, more friends, more followers, and that's how you get ahead. And so what do you do in a culture that celebrate, celebrates and promotes pride, and yet I'm starting out saying, I think it's the thing that kills and destroys the most. And so, you know, since pride is one of those things that's really hard to see in yourself, you might be able to pick it out in someone else. I thought I'd give you kind of a quick list of some things maybe to look for when you're thinking about symptoms of pride. So meaning, if I see it in someone, what do I notice? And if I'm looking at it in myself, what might I have to look at? Well, the first thing is uh, someone who is prideful or proud, they feel entitled. 
meaning they believe they deserve it. Not only do they feel entitled, but they expect to be served, meaning not only do I deserve it, but I deserve for you to give what you have to me. I not only deserve what you have, I deserve for you to take care of me, to look out for me. Uh, And they're quick to find fault. They're short-tempered, right? Not only are they short-tempered, they're easily offended. Because, um, you know, I deserve for others to look out for my interests, to, to care about my feelings, right? And so they're easily offended. They're vain and they're superficial, meaning they're just self-absorbed. Number seven, they're selfish because they deserve the world to be all about them. They are self-medicating. They're self-medicating because they believe that they deserve to feel good or to feel better. They're harsh toward others. You can tell someone who's proud or full of pride because they they mistreat people like um, a waiter or a waitress. They they mistreat the the attendants on the airplane. They, They mistreat the people that they've hired to do something because they believe they're better than that person. So they're harsh toward others. Number 10, they're, they're defensive. I should have eliminated one of these, so I only have 10, because that'd be a cooler number, but they're defensive because they're not willing to learn. They're not willing to teach. You have no right to correct them. And then finally, number 11, they refuse to submit to authority. Why? Because the rules don't apply to them. They know better than the people who are in authority. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Because I, I think I've got life all figured out. And so, you know, here, you probably, as I was giving you this list, you started thinking of someone you know who has several of these characteristics in their life, right? That's called pride. Because <laughs> you see it in everyone else, but you don't see it in yourself, right? Pride's a tricky one because we can go through the list and we can go, I, I've seen someone who exhibits that and that and that. Wow, they're really struggling with pride. And all along, uh, it's, it's a reflection on or a magnifying glass on us that probably if I'm quick to see in others, what I'm calling out in others is really what I recognize in myself, and it's so hard to see, again, especially in a culture that celebrates self-love, self-actualization, selfies, right? We're all about self-promoting and self-branding, and so where do we, what do we do with this mother of all vices? Well, I wanted to bring you back to an ancient time, a letter written about 2,000 years ago by the Apostle Paul sitting in a prison cell, potentially awaiting a death sentence, and he writes to the church in Philippi, the first church in in the uh, continent of Europe. He helped start it, and when he went there, he got imprisoned, thrown in prison for helping rescue a young woman who was trapped in human trafficking. He did nothing wrong, but the guy who was, who the, the, the slave owner got angry when he set this woman free, and so they rallied a mob to have Paul and Silas arrested and thrown in prison. So that was his experience going to Philippi. But he helped start the church in Philippi, and now, um, about 10 years after he started that church, and four years since the last time he's been there, the Apostle Paul writes a letter to them from prison, and he's writing it with this secret, with this insight in how to live and enjoy life the most. Now, you might think to yourself, well, what does this guy have to offer me? I mean, I don't want to be like him, except that when I think about 
sitting in prison facing a death penalty, which I hope never happens. Uh, but if I was in that spot, I would want what he has. I, I would want to have an attitude that's like, I have the secret to happiness. I have joy. And so the whole letter he writes, he uses the word joy over and over. And then he says, I'm happy and I'm going to continue to be happy. I am celebrating and I want you to celebrate with me. And so you got to admit, you're kind of like curious. You're like, what does this guy have that the rest of us don't have? And so I want to jump into that letter. It's, it's called in the Bible, Philippians, which is simply Paul's letter to the Philippian church. And he says this, then make my joy complete. He goes, I, I, I want you to help me so that my joy is full, complete by being like-minded. Me, I want you and I to enjoy life together because we have the same thinking, having the same, no, hold up, go back real quick. Thank you guys. Having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. He goes, so we're going to get in this thing together. We're going to think the same. We're going to have the same affections. We're going to share the same kind of love. We have the same heart and mind. And so go, okay, so how are we going to enjoy the kind of joy that Paul had while in prison? Well, here, here it is. He's going to give you the key. He goes like this. So the secret to joy is that we're all on the same page is this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. The, the word there would be jealousy or rivalry. Don't do anything driven by jealousy or rivalry. That would be selfish ambition or vain conceit. That would be pride. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. He goes, you want to know what the secret to sharing in joy is of being in the same mind, of having the same laughter, of kind of being able to celebrate together. He goes, I'm going to give you the secret. It's this. Don't do anything driven by jealousy or rivalry. Don't do anything driven by pride, but look out for each other in humility. Value others as better than yourselves, not looking out for your own agenda or your own interest, but look out for others. And so he's, he's giving you this question that you kind of just have to ask. Is it possible that pride is sabotaging the best in my life and in my relationships? Is it possible? I can't see it, but is it possible that I have a blind spot called pride that is sabotaging me? in my relationships. And so the key here is this. He gives a, a, a big idea, a, a challenge, a takeaway that you and I can apply to our lives. And it would be this, put on humility. I, I, I'm going to explain to you why I use the words put on humility, because it's something you have to work at putting on like clothing, because pride you and I can nail. We don't even have to worry about putting it on. We've got it. We've got it down. We can do it really well. I mean, it's one of those things that you can achieve in life. Like if you want to be successful at something, every one of us are, can be very successful at being pride, proudful or prideful. Thank you. Prideful and proud. But we have to work at humility. And so let's talk about this, right? Because in a selfie, self-promotion culture where Pride is a virtue and humility is weakness, then we have to first discover why I would even want to put on humility. So I'm going to start right there. Pride 
is the mother of all problems. That's right. At the core, deep under everything that drives us. If you look at why, you, you will cheat. If you look at why you want to lie, if you look at why, you, why greed drives our heart, if you look at the world we live in, why someone is driven to do the things they do, especially when it's a bad thing, it, at the root, at the deepest part of who they are, it is prideful. When I gave you that list of symptoms, it's one of those symptoms that is revealing itself that makes them look out for themselves, to hurt other people, to tear other people down. Uh, so. First, I want you to think this, right? Pride is the mother of sin. Not only is it the mother of sin, sin is a term, a word that biblical authors and Jesus use to refer to any desire that goes against God. So pride, which was the original sin, when you go into the Bible and you discover why Satan himself, who was an angel of worship in heaven, rejected God, it was because of pride. He wanted the worship that he was giving. He thought he deserved it. And so pride caused him to reject God. And as a result, God rejected him from heaven. And it was pride that Satan used to tempt Adam and Eve to turn their back on God. See, pride is the root sin. And it produces the fruit of everything else in our lives. But not only is pride a mother of sin, pride is the mother of misery. It actually steals joy. It steals hope. It steals laughter. It steals happiness. The more you make life about you, the less life is enjoyable. The more we focus on what I can get and my agenda and my ego and my promotion, the less friends we have and the more suffering we endure that's self-inflicted because we go down the paths of being self-medicating and self-loving, which means we're more in love with ourselves than we are with others. And so here's the danger, right? If it's the, if it's the mother of misery, and it's the mother of sin, then what is the end result? Well, sin drives us away from God toward pursuing our own desires and our own interests. So the end result of pride being the mother of sin and misery is that it leads us not toward our own just destruction and ruin, but our own death and forever judgment. That's the end consequence of pride. It destroys our lives and it destroys our forever existence. And so I'm gonna jump back in and kind of give you the answer then. So how do we get out of this? The Apostle Paul is writing and he says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Let me just pause there and I wanna unpack this for a moment. The Apostle Paul does hold Jesus up as the example of humility. But Jesus is more than just an example of humility. Jesus was and is the most humble man to have ever lived. Think about how humble Jesus had to be. God, who angels bow and worship him, enters the world 
where the man that he created scoffs and mocks and spits and murders him. That takes humility. The God who created time confines himself to time. The God who exists outside of space and everything that exists was created by him puts himself into the womb of a teenage mother to be raised by an adopted father. That takes humility. So Jesus is not only our example, but he is the most humble man to have ever lived. And he did the most humble act, allowing himself to be put to death by the very creation he designed. The people he loved, he allowed to hate him. He didn't have to do that. He chose to do that. In humility, he made himself of no reputation. The same God that it says the rocks and the trees and the stars and the planets worship became someone that they destroyed and mocked and even ignored. That's a humble act. And the full expression of his humility was that he was willing to take our sin, our pride, our arrogance, and all of the consequence and suffering and shame and guilt that come from a life of pride. He took all of that and the collective eternal death sentence that we deserve because of it, and he put it on himself. So when he died, he died for our pride. In humility, he dies for what we deserve because of our pride. Our arrogance nailed Jesus to the cross. And so he dies in our place. He dies for our death. He pays for our shame and our guilt. He puts all the suffering on himself. But not only does he die, he rises from the dead, victorious and triumphant, and then gives it to us. So that when we believe in Jesus by faith, we believe in his death that we're forgiven because he died for us, his humility. But we also believe that we receive victory and new life because he rose from the dead and in his resurrection, he gives us a triumphant way to live in humility. So we can put on humility, how? Because we, we, we allow God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, to enter into our spirit, which is et- uh, invisible and eternal. When God's spirit is in our spirit, he empowers us to begin to put on humility. Let me, let me give you kind of a, a next challenge in this as Paul continues to write. He says, therefore God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place. Because Jesus was the most humble man to ever live and did the most humble act. God, the Father, exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. You guys are going to catch up with me. Um, In heaven and in earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Now, there's an interesting thing that the Apostle Paul does when he's writing this. He's writing to the church in Philippi, a church under Roman rule, under Nero's rule. Specifically in Philippi, every time they would have any big public event, one of the things that it would be kind of like us saying the Pledge of Allegiance or, you know, kind of doing the God bless America or doing our national anthem them at a major event, what they would do is all, no matter what the event was, they would all bow and proclaim Nero as both Lord and Savior. 
So the apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi goes, I want you to know that there is no other name except the name of Jesus Christ. And at his name, when they say his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He goes, you will bow. Even those of you that are full of pride, you will bow and you will confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, whether as a friend or as a foe of God. Because in the end, in eternity, every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Every enemy of God will be bowed in humiliation. And so you and I have a choice. We can choose between humility and humiliation. And for me, I'll bow my knee and proclaim with my tongue Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And what he's saying in this passage is that only Jesus is worthy of that kind of praise and that kind of accolades and that kind of glory because only Jesus can handle it. When you give that kind of praise and accolades and affirmation to someone like Nero, they will weaponize it and use it to destroy you. All of us, we can't handle it, can we? You can't, I can't. All of us, the moment the praise starts piling on, it becomes a problem in our heart. The moment we start succeeding, we, we find ourselves at the precipice of our own ruin. Because for whatever reason, you and I do not have the capacity and with prideful hearts to appropriately handle the glory and the honor and the praise that is only deserving, that only deserves to be given to God himself. And so, now let's make this practical. How do I then put on humility, as the Apostle Paul said, is the key to celebrating with joy, to getting along with each other, to having a good time? How do you go to a party? How do you, how do you build friendships and actually enjoy them? That's what Paul, the Apostle Paul is saying. He goes, so I'm going to give it to you. Put on humility. So we're just contrasting pride and humility. So let, let's, let's look at it. First, humility means life isn't about me. As you're reading, as you're reading through that passage, he said, Jesus, knowing who he was, he wasn't denying the fact that he was God. He knew he had come from the Father and was going back to the Father. He knew that he was fully God, yet he became nothing. You could translate it this way, um, meaning it was originally written not in English, right, but in in another language in Greek, and so in the Greek, you could translate it as like, um, he became nothing, he became a nobody, he emptied himself of who he was. Now this is an interesting thing, I have to unpack this for a moment, let me explain. The process of Jesus becoming a man is a pretty complex discussion point, all right? Would you all just kind of shake your heads at me and be like, yeah, that sounds really deep, how God puts on skin. And, and, and so you could think that God limited himself. He became less by becoming a man. And the reality is God didn't become less. He actually, in essence, he, he took on more. He, he's fully God, and yet Jesus also puts on, he, like I'm telling you to put on humility, Jesus put on the clothing, the skin of humanity. He put it on, he dressed himself with humility. 
And we're invited to dress ourselves the way Jesus dressed himself with human skin. So here's what Jesus did. In order to become a man, he had to lay aside some things. He, he took off the clothing of heaven. So there's things that only God is, right? So let me give you a quick list of them. Only God is everywhere at all times. We, the word you could use there is omnipresent. Only God is uh, all-knowing. Uh, the word there would be omniscient. Only God is all-powerful, omnipresent. Only God is immutable, doesn't change no matter what. But think about it. When Jesus came to earth, he came as a baby, and his body was going to undergo changes. And then he had to learn, which means he wasn't omniscient. He, he, he submitted himself to the cross, which means he wasn't omnipotent, right? Like, it wasn't that he wasn't divine. It was that he willingly like put down those weapons and he picked up weakness. He picked up the ability to change. He picked up the ability to learn, even though he didn't have to learn. He picked up being confined. The point is he emptied himself and became nothing. He became of no reputation because it was essential for his mission that he wasn't driven by selfishness or ego or pride, but that he understood in his, his life wasn't about him. Jesus' life on earth was about you and me and our rescue. So he had to become nothing in order to lift us up. And so for you and I, when we think about how to put on humility, we have to first address the issue of, I have to be willing to make my life not about me. Now, there's no better illustration of this than what we're celebrating this weekend in celebrating moms. So maybe at all of our campuses right now, one more time, we just give, give our moms a huge round of applause. Right, so, I mean, what better example of someone living their life not about them than moms who are willing to give birth to us? I mean, that is an, labor and birth itself is a, a humbling act. And they go through all this pain to give us life. I, so many moms, I mean, you, your showers have been interrupted. You've been in the bathroom and you've been interrupted. I, I know, I see this. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I go try to pull my boys out. Like, leave mommy alone for a moment. You know, like, you've went without a shower. You, you've, gone with, you've gone hungry. I mean, Laura, one point, she's like, I haven't had a, you know, like, quote from a movie. Like, I haven't had a warm meal in like five years, you know? Like, you go through a lot because life isn't about you. Life is about giving your life for others. And so let me challenge you. Um, would you be willing to not make your life about you? Not trying to be a somebody so that you can lead somebody to Jesus. When you can get past having something to prove, you will find joy in life. When you can get the chip off your shoulder Stop trying to make every situation about you and about your reputation, about what you can get out of it. When you, when you can get past having something to prove, you will begin to then enjoy life because up to that point, everything is about humiliating others to make yourself look better. It's about getting your reputation ahead of others. But when you don't have to put others down and you can just begin to enjoy life because you don't have anything to prove, you find that you can actually have a smile on your face. You know what else? You actually learn to laugh at yourself a little bit because in those moments when you have nothing to prove, you're willing to listen and learn and grow. And as a result, you, you become teachable. And I've discovered pr proud people don't want to learn. They don't listen. 
They don't, because they don't believe anyone has anything they can teach them. Humble people are willing to listen. They're willing to learn. They're willing to grow. And, and as a result, they don't take themselves that seriously. Do you know that people with a lot of pride, they take themselves way too seriously. And if you crack a joke at them, like they can't laugh. They'll laugh if you make fun of yourself, but they can't laugh at themselves. And they certainly won't make a joke about themselves because they're not a laughing matter. They're super serious. They're super awesome. You don't laugh at me, but I have found that if I can laugh at myself, I have a lot more fun because I never run out of material. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like you, I could go all day long if I'm the joke because there's a lot of content there. And so my point is this, like when you can learn to laugh at yourself, not take yourself so seriously, frankly, you have a lot more fun and you can enjoy life a lot more. And then I wanna give you another piece about this, about life not being about you. You don't need to take credit for everything. What, what the apostle Paul is saying is Jesus wasn't even looking for credit. He was looking for your success. He was looking for your salvation, for your rescue. And, and so here's the key. Not everyone who gets credit or takes credit deserves credit. They just need it. And if you need credit, be careful. And if others are taking credit, be suspicious. For me personally, I had a pretty critical moment in my life several, about a handful of years ago. I was really wrestling with um, a situation and kind of how, how I was gonna handle it and how I was gonna communicate about it. And I was in a prayer moment. I felt like God spoke to me and said, Patrick, if you will give away the credit, I will fill the baskets of your life to overflowing. And I realized I had a choice in my life. I could take credit or I could have more impact, but you can't have both. And I just made a decision at that point. I don't need credit. If you, if you make my life more fruitful and I can have more impact and more influence, I'll give away all the credit. I don't care who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory and you use my life in a great way. And so I'm gonna challenge you something. You will be amazed at what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. You will be amazed at what God will do with your life if you stop worrying about who gets the credit. And I wanna give you one more piece of this. The Apostle Paul writes, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What's the point he's saying? He goes, humility puts others first. Humility doesn't have to think less about yourself, just think of yourself less often. Humility doesn't have to, you don't have to belittle yourself. Don't, you don't have to think less of yourself, just think actually of yourself, meaning how, who are you actually? It's an accurate view. And the word the Apostle Paul uses when he says prefer others above yourselves, it's a concept of calculating. When we go to a restaurant, we have this tendency to calculate that the waiter or waitress is less than us and it's appropriate that they serve me. They're not less than me. I could just as well be serving them. The Ritz-Carlton, uh, the top hotel chain in the world, their statement is, we are the people who work there are trained. We are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. They have this attitude, I'm not less than you. I am a lady or a gentleman serving a lady or gentleman. I know who I am 
and I know who you are. Jesus knew who he was, and he wanted us, he wanted to build us up. And in order to build us up, he didn't need to tear himself down. You don't need to tear others down to build yourself up. In fact, you will discover that you'll begin to enjoy life more, and people will be built up around you if you stop thinking about yourself and start not just putting on humility, but actually preferring others or building others up. Here's the deal, right? Pride is, an, is your enemy, which means humility is your friend. Pride will make enemies out of others. Humility will turn others into your friends. You want more friends? Put on humility. Stop thinking about yourself. Start putting others first. Start putting their needs ahead of your needs. Start putting their desires ahead of your desires. Start putting their reputation ahead of your reputation. And here's the deal. You can't do this on your own. The only way you and I can be truly humble is if we look not just to the example of Jesus, but to the source of humility, which is Jesus himself. Because you and I live in a culture that contradicts humility and is all about self promotion and self-branding and self-ease. And the only way you're going to get out of the, of the pull toward self and toward pride is if you not only look to Jesus as the example, but you have the spirit of Jesus in you who is clothing you in humility, washing you constantly of pride, helping us to recognize that pride says, I've got this on my own. I don't need God. I am a God. Humility says, I need God, and he alone is God in my life, and I will bow my knee, and I will worship him. And when we begin to worship God and honor God and put on humility, then we can begin to put others first. So I want to challenge you. I hope I've inspired you and not discouraged you. I hope I've giving you a little bit of challenge to examine your heart rather than looking at your spouse or your friends or others. And now I want you to take a moment and make a commitment. Each of our campuses, Chambersburg, Cinemas, Wilson, take a moment right now, would you just close your eyes? I realize that there are individuals in this moment, you need to make a commitment. There, there's a killer lurking in your own heart, sabotaging your life, and you're ready to make a commitment by confessing Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. And you realize this is a big step because this is shifting your life from being about you to being about Jesus. But you're ready to make that commitment if that's you right now. You're ready to say, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to bow my knee as a friend to God. If that's you, in bowing your heart metaphorically, would you raise your physical hand and say, that's me right now. I'm ready to make that commitment. At each of our campuses right now, would you just raise your hand and say, yep, that's where I'm at right now. I'm ready to make that commitment to say, Jesus, you are the Lord and you are the savior of my life. Anybody else, you wanna just raise your hand again. At each of our campuses, would you raise your hand right now? And as you're raising your hand, I wanna take a moment. I wanna pray with you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you rescued us. Thank you that you were willing to, to, to be the most humble humble man and take on the most humble act by giving your life to rescue us from certain ruin. We love you. And right now, at our various different campuses, God, we are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we're confessing that Jesus Christ is Savior. Now, would you, by your Spirit, empower us to put on humility, to 
make our life not about me and to put others above ourselves. We ask this now in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from LifeHouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.